All right, what a wonderful time of worship. Praise this morning, God is so amazing and so good. He's uh, beyond what we deserve and uh, He does more than we expect and so we thank Him, praise Him for that today. So good to see you guys out this morning. It's a little bit different for me to look in the back and not see somebody with a beard sitting back there, but Holly, thank you this morning for what you're doing in our service and we appreciate you so much. Thank you. And uh, so, couldn't, uh, wouldn't be the same without having uh, our projections and things this morning. So thank you for doing those. I invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Thank you again for being here this morning. Uh, we uh, need this family time together and to be able to worship God. It gives us strength and it gives us uh, a sense of community and the family of God in our faith community, and so we're so thankful that we can come together and worship. I realize that uh, uh, there's uh, uh, many who uh, are still concerned, and rightly so, and I understand that, but thank you guys for being here this morning. I want to ask you to bow with me if you would this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful and thankful today that we can be called the children of God, that through Jesus Christ and our faith in Him, that you bring us together as one family bound by one spirit and one faith. Father, thank you that we can come and freely worship you today, that we can have an open heart and open ears for your word this morning. Father, we just pray that you would give us what we need today, uh, spiritually and emotionally here this morning. Father, we pray for an extra strengthening for the week ahead. That you'll help us to be energized here this morning. Father, we'll think about you today and you only. Father, we pray against all the distractions that might come into our mind that might keep us from you this morning. Father, we thank you for the power and the testimony of your word. How that your word changes our life. How that we can truly experience what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we set our mind on your things. On your thoughts. And so this morning I pray God that your Holy Spirit. Be our guide, our teacher. That you would lead us through these verses of scripture this morning. And that we would see Jesus in all these things. And for I ask it in his name. Amen. I want to continue this morning in our look at uh, the idea of false teachers and false teaching. We often think of false teaching as being only related to the church. We think about, yeah, that's those preachers that, that share a, another gospel or it's those guys that take the word of God and uh, put a new spin on it or a different twist. And, and literally that's what happens often is twist. Uh, because the word iniquity in the Bible means to be twisted. And sometimes uh, people take liberties with the word of God and they'll, they'll twist what it means. And so we think about those. We think about taking some truth and mixing it with error and coming out with a different message. And we think that often that false teaching is, is uh, confined to the church. False teachers certainly are a part of... Uh, the religious life in America today and around the world. Uh, but let me just say this morning that false teachers aren't only in the church. Uh, they exist outside the church as well. 
In other words, false teaching is a pervasive thing that really saturated our culture today. And a false teacher is just really someone who teaches something that's in conflict or opposes God's truth. That takes an idea or thoughts or principles that are really conflicting God, uh, in co- conflict with God's Word and teach them as if they're true. And so we, we see false teachers in, in our world. Um, uh, we can look around and see them everywhere. It's, it's that air uh, uh, from the truth. And also the idea that false teachers, they can be in the church, but also they're certainly in our culture. They're in our institutions. They're in everyday life. They're in our media. Uh, all those things, false teachings. So we have to be really careful. Our educational system is uh, often denying the truth. Uh, certainly the biggest thing in our, our educational system is denying the truth of creation. I mean, we look at the biblical account of creation and we see that God created everything that he created in uh, six days and rested on the Sabbath. And we see in that biblical account of creation that God made everything in its own kind. Uh, that he made species what they are. And uh, yet uh, pervasive in our world today and our teaching today, our education today is the idea of evolution. Now, listen, those two can't coexist with each other. Now, believe it or not, some supposedly biblical teachers have had, tried to marry science in that sense of science. Listen, the Bible's scientific, by the way. Uh, if God speaks to science and scripture, he's accurate. But some people try to take what's um, uh, humanity's idea of science and try to mirror it with scripture. So they come up with all these ideas that, you know, yeah, God created uh, things and then he stepped back from it and let the evolutionary processes take place. And so that's why, you, you, you know, you have all these things. And so they, they try to take some scripture and some human reasoning and try to mirror it together in some kind of doctrine. Look, it just doesn't work. Uh, either God's word is true or it's not. Either man's ideas are true. Uh, or, or uh, and God's word's not, but you can't put those two together. They can't coexist because they're opposed to each other. If you take a close look at Scripture, uh, God details how He gave His creation, how things were created, and so we have to realize that in in our culture, even marriage is redefined into perversion. Uh, <laughs> we see today that, and, and listen, that started outside the church. That so much of that teaching is being brought inside of the church today. We have to be careful. And that's why it's so important. Peter spent this whole chapter, chapter 2, talking about false teachers, uh, about what they teach, and about what, uh, what, what will happen. And so we really have to take it seriously. Sexuality is defined by God as male and female. Amen. I mean, it, it's it's... Male and female. Um, there's, uh, you know, our culture today is moving toward all other kind of definitions for sexuality. It's not just male and female, but it's gone way beyond that. So many letters of the alphabet I can't 
understand all that they purport today. But yet God makes it simple that he created us male and female. Uh, life is being dismissed in our culture today through false teaching as unimportant if it's inconvenient. Doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, our world today looks at life. God says life is sacred. It, it's a divine creation. Uh, we're created in His image. Every human being has value and importance. Life begins at the moment of conception. The Bible talks about that. So many references in Scripture uh, about where God communicated with an unborn baby in a mother's womb. Uh, that's the definition of life. But yet our world says, well, that life is not, not, if I don't want it, it's not important. doesn't have value. Uh, and so they begin to, you know, they begin to create ways of justification for disobedience to the truth, begin to teach things. You see, the, th the power in teaching is that teaching changes minds. Whether it's good teaching or whether it's bad teaching, whether it's true or false, is that if we're taught enough things as if it's the truth, that there's the tendency that we have to buy into it and believe it. Or in other words, if, if it's repeated enough, uh, it, be, it becomes a truth. You know, I, I've gotten to where I really hate that, that phrase of settled truth, you know, or settled science or any of these things. Look, if it's not God's revelation, it's not settled. Okay? If it's not God's truth, then it's not settled truth. As a matter of fact, if it's in opposition to God's truth, it's not truth at all. And so we, we begin to teach things that, uh, uh, as, from the world's point of view, about things like life and sexuality and marriage and evolution and all those kind of things. And they begin to be accepted in the world, even though we're in opposition against God's truth, as if they are truth. Even who God is seems to be up to the individual's interpretation and forget about revelation. Forget about who God says He is. It's really all about God who I want Him to be. The God of my making and the God of my pleasure or the God of my desires. Now look, that's nothing new. It's not a new phenomenon. It's been going on for centuries and generations and generations. Isaiah warned about it. He said, you take a piece of wood and you, you carve it out into something. You set it up, you bow down, and the rest of it that you didn't use, you build your fire with it and cook your food. You know, it's not a God. And that's not the God. And so we have to really be careful about knowing and discerning the truth and, and, and realizing that, that we live in a world today that the bigger scope of things sometimes is, is untruth or we live in a world full of false teachers today. We have to be careful. Listen, the, Paul warned Timothy couple of places in scripture about this very thing and and, and we, we understand as believers if we study the Bible we know who's behind all this right he's our enemy he's the accuser of the brethren he's he's the evil one he's the dragon he's Satan 
prince of the power of the air. And Paul warned Timothy, he says, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said, Timothy, you know that in these days there's going to be imposters, people who are going to pose themselves or present themselves as teachers, but what they are, they're deceivers. And you know how to discern whether they're a deceiver or whether what they're tasting is deception. By Why? Because Paul said, you know the Holy Scriptures. You know the Word of God. You have the standard that you can compare and you can test those things whether they're true or not. He says in another place to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Be careful. Paul's warning Timothy. He says in 2 Thessalonians also, and I want to give these to kind of preface what we're going to see this morning. Uh, he says, for the mystery of lawlessness. Now listen, that's something... We ought to hold on to the mystery of lawlessness. In other words, the unseen things about lawlessness or disobedience or confl- conflicting things about the Word of God is what Paul's saying. He says there's a, a, a pervasive mystery about it. In other words, it's, it's active in our culture today. Uh, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And Paul, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. That the only thing is holding back an onslaught of, of, of false teaching, false doctrine, uh, rampant lawlessness is, is the work of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work? He works through God's Word and through His church. And right now, He's a, he's a firewall for you and I today of all the untruth and the false doctrines out there. And we, we have to realize that. And then he goes on to say, and then the lawless one, uh, as a reference to the Antichrist, and the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to workings of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Paul is saying that right now we're being protected, that there's coming a day when God is going to allow even more and more of what we're seeing. And the, the idea is, but yet it's beginning. That lawlessness is at work. And so we have to be careful and understand that very thing. Listen, Paul says some things about false teachers. First of all, you see, I'm not going to read the whole passage in entirety. We're going to look at parts of it. But one of those things that Paul says about this passage in chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 3. He says, he talks about the doom of false teachers. In other words, they, um, there is, um, they'll have, they'll get their day. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's real easy to get upset and angry when you hear all this false teaching and say, Lord, why don't you take care of these guys or why don't you put a stop to this or why don't you, you do this or that? You know, we're, we're not God's counselors, by the way. God is our counselor. And one day, God will recompense. He'll repay uh, the false teachers and we, we can... We can uh, take 
heart or encouragement in that, that he'll make all things right. If you look at the end of verse 3, their doom is certain. He says uh, at the end of verse 3, he says, For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So Peter reminds us that, look, God's not asleep. He's aware. He knows what's going on. He'll take care of it in his time. So we have to trust him. It's hard to do for us, isn't it, sometimes? We just want the Lord to say, Lord, just stand up or help us to stand up and, and, and just take away or expose all these lies and all this deception for what it is. And we'd love to see that universally today. Well, one day he is going to reveal the truth in himself when he comes. But until that day, we wait with the understanding that he's going to take care of uh, these false teachers because they're doing a certain. Not only that, but he, he gives some examples of, of his faithfulness. You know, it's, we can look at it and say, okay, Lord, one day, one day, but are you really going to do it? Well, he gives some things about some actions that he'd taken in the past that prove that he's going to do it. And so he gives a list of things and, and that he talks about it in verse uh, 4 through 11 and he talks about their doom is consistent. In other words, it's consistent with who he is. And one of those things, or one of those instances he uses is in the judgment of fallen angels. He says in verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. In other words, what Peter's saying, look, if God didn't withhold judgment over his created angels that, fought, that were fallen, that, that, that have sinned, then he's not going to spare these false teachers. That's the comparison he makes. If he did this, then he'll do this. Consistency, right? So we can know that, that what God has done, uh, that he'll do also in the future, so we can trust that. Uh, and so he's proven himself. So he uses, Peter uses these, building this case for God's faithfulness, his certainty of, of, of judging false teachers. And he says, look, he didn't withhold judgment over the fallen angels. He's not going to do it over these false teachers as well. Now he goes on to verse 5, and he gives another example. There are several that, that uh, are here today. In verse 5, uh, he talks about the world in Noah's day. <laughs> we remember what Scripture says about that, that uh, all of flesh, all, all of humanity, almost all of humanity, <laughs> was vile and wicked, and their wickedness was uh, was of a most wicked sort. And so what did, do in, what did God do in Noah's day? He judged the earth. Right? He brought a great flood. He warned Noah. He said, Noah, go out, build this ark, preach to these people. Anyone who will come on the ark will be saved. And, and Peter reminds us of that very thing. He says, and, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So what Peter's saying, that, listen, God is going to be consistent. He's judging these false teachers just like he was in the day of Noah when he destroyed the earth and all the flesh on the earth and spared those who put their faith in him. So another example of consistency. And so Peter begins to build this case. Sodom and Gomorrah is another one in verse 6. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, God saw the wickedness of these two cities. He looked at it. Uh, he, he, he allowed uh, Abraham to, to, uh, to uh, tell his nephew and his nephew to tell us, you know, come on out, come on out. 
And, and of course, the only ones who came out were Lot and not even Lot's. Well, Lot's wife got part of the way out. Uh, not all the way out. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, Lot and his family came out uh, and uh, they listened to God and they were spared. And, and so here's another example. God didn't spare the cities. He destroyed the cities. So in all these things, Peter's saying is that when it comes to these false teachers, is that God is going to be consistent in his judgment <laughs> and he's going to... Um, he's going to... Uh, judge them for what they're doing today. You know, it breaks my heart to see this great nation struggle through what it's struggling through. And I understand the concept of free will. I, I know that we have the choice to choose and to respond to God and to obey Him or disobey Him. I understand that. But yet, on the other side of that, I also see uh, so so many times that those that fan the flames and encourage disobedience and uh, just really seek to cause people to move away from God. I think God has has a standard for them that He judges. And I think Peter's bearing that out. He goes on and talks about just those in general in verses 9 to 11 uh, when he says this, and then the Lord knows how to deliver the, un, the, the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of uh, dignitaries. And so Peter says, look, God recognizes that, and he will consistently judge according to his righteousness. And that's our God. And, and so Peter begins to talk about the doom of these false teachers. And so we can realize that. So with, with all the instruction or all the information that God gives us about false teachers, then, you know, don't you think it's probably not, it's a bad thing, false teaching? I mean, I think we could generally draw the conclusion that God's going to do all these things, that it's probably bad. So it's good that we become discerners of truth and of what's right. Now, he goes on and he says something else about false teachers. He talks about their depravity, the depravity of false teachers. I mean, he talks about their, uh, their, their person, who they are, what motivates them, what drives them, uh, what their character looks like, because in that it helps us identify who they are. If we can see some of these things about them, then we can understand maybe who they are, and, and it leads us back to what they're teaching. And so some of the things that he describes, uh, these are, are, first of all, if you look at verse 12, they're unreasonable. Listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, but these like natural uh, brute beasts made to, to be caught and destroyed. He says, they're, in a sense, the, the idea of natural that he uses here is basic instinct. In other words, it's all about self. You see, one of the things that characterizes a false teacher is that they're, uh, that they're in this thing for themselves. Now, it may be monetarily, it might be for notoriety, it might be for pride or pumping up their arrogance or, or, or just uh, feeling good about themselves. Whatever it is, is that, that uh, false teachers or false doctrine is born out 
of selfish ambition, selfish desire. The master of false teaching and the source of all false teaching is Satan himself. He's the father of all lies, Jesus says. In other words, he originated the, 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 the deception. And, and what was his thing about? Wasn't it about pride? You know, Isaiah and Ezekiel, it talks about the fall of Satan and how that Satan uh, wanted to ascend to where God was and be like him. And, and, and what he did instead of going up, Satan went down. And it was out of his arrogance and his pride that he fell. And out of that kind of attitude and mindset is, is the, the source of false teaching. It's all about self. And so Paul, I mean, Peter reminds us about that very thing, is that it's like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. In other words, brute, uh, the idea of brute is one who will who'll not listen to reason. Have you ever tried to, you know, you, you talk about a wild animal. Uh, you, you know, you can't, you're walking along a trail, you know, and all of a sudden a bear steps out in front of you, you're going to stand there and say, no, look, bear, let's talk about this. You know, uh, let me just say, do you really want to eat me? You know, or don't, you know, let me tell you about all the bad things I've got going on in my physical health and why it'd be an un- unhealthy meal for you. And we can't reason with, with that. And so, Paul, I mean, Peter says that with, with false teachers, they're unreasonable. Think about our, our culture today. Think about trying to sit down with somebody who has a, polit- a politically different mindset than you today. How well do you think that will go? How reasonable do you think people are today? And so, Paul, I mean, Peter describes them as that way. Also in verse 12, the end, they're uncompromising from their position. Uh, verse 12, it says, um, at the end, it says, that speak evil of the things that do not, they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. In other words, they're uncompromising. You can't reason with them. It's their way or no way. Have you ever seen that kind of behavior in our, our world today? That sense of, here's where I stand and here's what I believe and you can't convince me otherwise. They're unashamed. Peter writes in verse 13. He says, and, and we'll receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the day, daytime. Carousing in the daytime. We haven't heard that, that word carousing in the daytime. In other words, they're, they're unashamed of what they do and what they believe and what they teach. Uh, and, and they're just bold about it. Um, how pervasive is that kind of false teaching in our world today? So consumed with their passion, they're not embarrassed about their actions. I don't care. I'll do anything that it takes to bring about about what I believe is right. I'll hurt others. I'll malign others. I'll do wrong things if it brings out or brings about what I believe is right. That's the... Mindset of a false teacher. I'm ashamed. 
Uh, certainly in verse, the end of verse 13, that, that they are unchristlike. Uh, no question about that. He goes on to say, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Not Christ-like. Uh, he says in verse 14, they're undisciplined. Undisciplined. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They're undisciplined. I mean, their emotions, their appetites control their life. Characteristic. So if that's the case, you can understand then what they're teaching and what they're propagating has to be undisciplined as well. They're unconcerned, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. They just don't care about what's right. And out of that not caring about what's right comes what they're teaching and it becomes unright. Unconcerned. They're untruthful, verse 17. Verse 17 says they are wells without water, clouds carried by tempests for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. They're, they're wells without water. You know what that is emblematic of? Is that they present themselves as being one way and they're really another way. Deception, untruthful. You know, in ancient times when you came up to a well, you had the expectation of drawing out water. It's a lot like what Jesus saw on that week that he was in Jerusalem before his crucifixion. And he walked up to the fig tree, remember? And he looked at it and it had leaves and it had every expectation that it would have some fruit on it. But when he came up close to it, it had nothing. Nothing. And that's what false teachers do. They're untruthful. They're deceptive. And so all these things kind of characterize the condition that their heart is that ought to give us concern about what they're teaching and what we're listening to as, as believers. Well, let me give you the last thing about these false teachers. That's the deception of the false teachers. That they are set out for this very thing. And how do they do that? You know, they're pretty good at what they do, else there wouldn't be so many uh, caught up in it today. Our world wouldn't be so marred and marked by false teaching if they weren't good at what they do. But one of the things they do, they just see through their words through their words. Look at verse 18. Listen to what Peter says in verse 18. He says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. That's pretty good. I like that, don't you? Uh, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So he's saying that they, 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 they deceive through their words. They say a lot, and they say it well. But what they say and what they repeat, and as well as they say it, is empty. It has no value. As a matter of fact, it leads us down a 
a road of deception and destruction. So they're really good at conversation. They're really good at, at words and sharing. But yet when you begin to look at what they're saying, it really doesn't have any value to it. That's why we have to take time to examine what we're hearing. We have to guard. You know, the Bible talks about guarding our hearts. Because out of our heart proceeds the issues of life. And so what we're taking in, if we're taking in empty words that even though they sound good, that they're empty and have no value, then what we're trying, we're feeding our soul on things that are worthless. We're, we're like that prodigal son who went out and fed himself on the husks that well, the pigs were eating. We have to be careful, no matter how good it sounds. Uh, we really have to be careful. We live in the information age today. More information is available than there ever has been in probably all of history uh, at any given time. Probably thousands of times more information right now. And so we're hearing things constantly, reading things constantly. We have to be careful uh, about what we hear. It may be worthless, empty words. Uh, not only do they deceive through their words, but also they deceive through their works. Uh, look at verse 19. He says in verse 19, Peter does. He says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is brought into bondage. What, what's he talking about? They, they promise freedom, but they're enslaved themselves. They, they promise something new and special, but they're bound to the same old slave kind of things. And so the very things that they do, or the very things that they want to bring others into, that they can be bound just like they are. I think misery loves company. And I think if you look around in our world today and hear what's going on, that people are so miserable that they're looking for company. And so they're teaching the things that put us in bondage and slavery. I have to be careful, so careful about that very thing. And so they deceive us through their works. And then finally, they deceive us through their witness. Listen to what verse 20 says. It says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus uh, uh, and, and Savior, of Je Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, uh, the latter end is worse than their beginning for it. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. What Peter's saying is they've heard the truth Maybe started down the path of truth, but turned away from that path of truth. You know what happens? They go back to what they are, naturally. Not born again, not a child of God, but to the natural person that they are. And they do the things that they do. And that's a witness, right? How many times have we seen false teachers, even in the church, they're all of a sudden begin to reveal themselves by the 
witness that they carry. You see, all these things are things that we have to remember. Peter warns us about false teaching. Is it in the church today? Sure it is, and we have to be careful about that. As believers and children of God and as, as, as members of Garrison Baptist Church, we have to guard against false teaching coming into our church. We have to stand against those things and stand on the truth of the Word of God. But yet, when we leave the church and we go out in the world, it's maybe even more dangerous today about the pervasiveness of false teaching in our world today. People standing up claiming things to be true when we know that they're not. People standing up presenting ideas and principles that are absolutely foreign to the Word of God as truth. We have to stand against those things. And we have to stand and understand who those false teachers are. Bow with me if you would this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful today that you give us a righteous standard, your word. And we can understand that through the truth of Scripture that we can identify those things that are so pervasive, so readily available in our world today and we can see them for what they are that they're unholy against the Lord Jesus Christ against your word and as your children we can take a stand Father you've called us to righteousness you've called us to be separate for you not separate from the world but separate from the thinking of this world We go out into the world because it's our mission field. It's where we reach people who don't know you as their personal Savior. But we have to be careful not to become like it. Father, we thank you that you've drawn the line of distinction. That you've given us clear boundaries and clear protections in our life. So that we can stand on the truth and for the truth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we stand just for a moment for our invitation.